Remain standing for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here the Apostle Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies... They will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face... Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have gathered us together in this place today to hear about the message of your love. And Lord, I pray that that this truth, the truth of of your love through the power of your Holy Spirit would so uh, enter into our lives and transform us that we would be a people who love one another. That we wouldn't keep this love to ourselves, but that we would give this love sacrificially to others. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come speak to our hearts and do the work that you promised to do. It's in... In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It is good to see each and every one of you here this morning at Maple Park Church. What a blessing to gather with God's people today, uh, knowing that it is this God who loves us, who calls each and every one of us by name. Did you know that he knows your name? He knows you, and he has called you to himself today, that you would hear and receive Uh, the good news that he has for us in his word. So this week is week four of our series on spirit-filled living. And I ask the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In our minds, within evangelicalism, we think maybe of, of powerful and emotional church services. And, and, uh, that, that good feeling that we get from those services. And we think, well, maybe being filled with the Holy Spirit is having this feeling that comes from God. Maybe it's through a service or through your devotional time, your time spent in prayer with God. Or I have this, or or I, I propose this, or is being filled with the Holy Spirit something much deeper and helpful, helpful to us and to our neighbors and to one another than than just an emotional experience in church or in prayer 
or in devotions. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 tells us that that spirit-filled living is actually about reflecting, reflecting the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. So spirit-filled living really is about living as a reflection of Jesus, and to live as a reflection of Jesus is to reflect His love towards other people. So the Apostle Paul really teaches us that that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have love, to love one another. And so I say this, don't claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you don't have love. Don't claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're not loving one another or loving your neighbors. Because being filled with the Spirit is more than just an emotional experience with God or an emotional experience in church. In today's passage from 1 Corinthians, we learn about the importance of loving one another. And that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And, and, and Paul says in, Galatia, or in 1 Corinthians 13 that we are to love one another. And so what kind of love is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about an agape love. When he says that we are to love, he's saying that we are to have this agape love for one another. As Pastor Dirk said three weeks ago, the Greeks had three words for love. So in your New Testament, there are actually three words that are used for for love. And the first one is this phileo love, this brotherly love, this friendship love. This fondness that we have for each other. That's phileo. There's also this eros love. It's where we get the the word erotic. This is the love that's shared between husband and wife in marriage. But then the New Testament also speaks of a different kind of love, and that's agape love. And that's the love of God. That's the unconditional love that God has for humanity. It is a love that is measureless. It is a love that we really can't even begin to to wrap our minds around. This is the unconditional love that God has for fallen and unfaithful humanity. This is the love that God has for you. That even though you're a sinner, And you have failed God in so many ways. He loves you with this immeasurable love. And this is the love that we're called to show towards one another and to show towards our neighbors. So what does it mean to agape love others? Well, first of all, you can't know what it means to agape love others until you understand the agape love that God has for you. And the agape love of God is is truthfully described by Bible commentator Carlton Toppin. I have a slide for this. He writes that, that God loves this foul world reeking of lust and hate and greed and rebellion and blasphemy a cesspool of guilt and shame. Sin-saturated and sin-cursed man was completely unworthy of any kind of divine love. 
But God did love him. Although he clearly saw all of man's repulsiveness, he devoted himself to man's welfare so deeply and intensely that he made the supreme sacrifice for man's sin. He gave his one and only Son to save fallen mankind. Such love is is more than fondness or affection. It is the highest kind of love. It seeks the welfare of those who are utterly unworthy of any kindness and concern. So to agape love is to love those that we're not very fond of. But it's even more than that. To agape love is to love those who repulse us. To love those who disgust us. To love those that we would never want to be around. Because that's the kind of love that God has for you. It's easy to love those that are easy to love. It's another thing altogether to love those that are nearly impossible for us to love. So you'll never understand the biblical meaning of love until you get a a glimpse of the measureless love of God. And His love really is measureless. Scientists say that they can measure the size of the universe. I have no idea how they do that. Because what I have learned about the universe, it is so immense and it is so big that it just is, uh, it is impossible for my mind to even begin to wrap around the concept of, of, the, of how immense and vast this universe is. So we cannot even wrap our minds around things that scientists can measure. And God is bigger than the universe. And if God is bigger than the universe, which our minds can't even begin to wrap around the concept of how big it is, if God is bigger than the universe, that means His his love is greater than the universe. God is immeasurable. And if God is immeasurable, that means that His love is immeasurable. We can't even begin to measure how vast His love is for you and for all of creation. And as Christians, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit dwells within you and I. And His Holy Spirit empowers you. But for what? To have an emotional experience in church? Is that why He has filled you with His Holy Spirit? So that you have a good feeling? Or is it for something greater? Is it for something more? The Bible teaches that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. It is love. So I have three points to make 
from today's Bible reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What does this love look like? Well, first of all, number one, Christian deeds without love are worthless. Christian deeds without love are worthless. So the Apostle Paul wrote, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, a person can appear to do all of these great things for God. All of these good deeds. All of these powerful acts and works. But every good thing that we do without love is worthless. So don't claim to be serving God if you have no love. Spirit-filled living is not about putting on a show. Spirit-filled living is not about a look-at-me sort of thing. Spirit-filled living is first and foremost about love. So everything that we do as a congregation here at Maple Park needs to be defined by love. Even those details that seem insignificant to us in in the business matters of the church. Everything that we do, every interaction, everything that that we have going on here, every deed that we've been called to do should be done with love. So what does this love look like? Well, Paul tells us, point number two. Point number two is this, that love is defined by Jesus. Love is defined by Jesus. And Paul says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Did you know that this is not only a definition of love given by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, But this is also a definition of the characteristics of Jesus Christ. So in this passage, we could take every word that says love and we can replace it with Jesus. So I have another slide. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on His own way. He is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So the greatest definition of love is Jesus. What does love look like? Look to Jesus. To be filled with the Spirit is to live like Jesus. It's to be a reflection of Jesus. It is to love like Jesus. 
So I ask you this question today, what brings out the worst in you? What brings out the worst in you? For me, it's those things that violate my personal preferences. I want things this way, but somebody else wants something, that same thing, another way. Now, there's nothing wrong with having personal preferences. When my desires and, and my ideas and my ways, this is the problem, when they become so important to me that I have little or no concern for others, that's a problem. So when my personal preferences get in the way of considering and loving others, that's a problem. You see, Jesus willingly laid aside his divine rights and privileges as true God in human flesh. He laid aside all of his divine rights and privileges to serve you. He laid it all aside for your benefit. And we ought to lay aside our own personal preferences motivated by love for the benefit of others. This doesn't mean taking abuse. No. It simply means living a humble and loving life. So, what brings out the worst in you? What brings out the worst in you? Usually, usually it's this selfishness that resides within us. Demanding my own way without considering the needs of others. Another, another question to ponder is this. What will truly matter when you get to heaven? What's really going to matter when you get to heaven. The only thing that will truly matter are those things which are eternal. So think about all of the activities that you have in your life. Think of your goals and your dreams. What really matters? What's really going to matter when you're in heaven? So your life, the life that you live today, can count for eternity if your, if your life is lived as a reflection of Jesus and of His love. And this uh, brings us to point number three. Well, first of all, point number one is Christian deeds without love are worthless. Number two, love is defined by Jesus. And number three, love is eternal. Love is eternal. What counts for eternity? Well, the Apostle Paul, verse 8, love, what? Never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now what? Faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. Love. Love never ends. Love is the greatest. So are you living a life of love? Or another way we could, say, we could ask the question is, are you living for eternity? Because if you're living for eternity, then you're living a life of love. Because a life of love is that which is eternal. That which matters the most. So you might ask the question, how is it possible for me to live with this kind of love? The only way you can live a life of love, to live as a reflection of Jesus, is to know Jesus, to trust in Jesus as your Savior. To know Him. Now you can know about Him, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's to really know Him. And to trust in Him. And that's when love comes flooding in. So today, if you have not received Christ as your Savior... If you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, you'll never experience His love. Some people might say, well, back in 1973, I repented and I received Jesus as my personal Savior. And, And we rejoice in that with you. But sometimes we forget that that inviting Jesus in Jesus who comes and knocks at the door of your heart isn't just a one-time thing, but it's, it's something that we always need to do. And actually that passage from Revelation 3.20, which is familiar to many of us who grew up in the church, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and what? He says He stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone opens their heart, He'll come in. He's writing that to people who are already Christians. Oftentimes we use it in evangelism as if it applies to unbelievers only. But it applies to me and to you. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking at the door of your heart today. He wants to come in to your life. He wants to fill your heart with His love so that you then can live as a reflection of Christ to others. And then the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is is this kind of love that, that lifts you up. It lifts you up out of all of the the stuff that's going on in our world that, that distracts us and causes us to be weighed down. You know, you know what I'm talking about? 
the junk of this world. His love is what lifts us up and places us firmly and securely in His grace. Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart. He's knocking. He says, open your heart. Let me come in. And I'll give you this life, this life that is abundant and free. I don't think that we'll ever get close to understanding the love of God while we walk in this mortal flesh. He says, open the door of your heart, and you'll get just a little taste of it. But that's enough to lift you up and to place you securely in His grace. You'll get a taste of it today. But I don't really think that we ever get close, because again, as going back to the beginning of the sermon, His love is, is measureless. You know that, that thing where we can't wrap our mind around how vast this universe is? It's the same thing with God's love. But one lady came close to experiencing this love and in, in ways that I never have. And her name is, is Corey Ten Boone. So a lady named Corey Ten Boone, uh, she came close to experiencing the vastness and, the, and how immeasurable uh, the love of God is. In 1947, she was preaching at a church in Munich, Germany. And after she was finished with her sermon, she noticed a man. And she recognized that this man was one of the Nazi guards who had held her captive, had held her and her sister captive in a Nazi concentration camp. Can you imagine that? Speaking in a church and then all of a sudden you see one of the guards, one of the Nazi guards there. Not only was he present in the church, but he approached her. A man who had committed unthinkable atrocities. Her sister died in that concentration camp. Well, this man, after she was done preaching in this church in Munich, Germany, approached him and, and he held out her hand to Corey Ten Boom. And he was, he was impressed with what, he, what, what she had, had preached about, that, that she had preached about God's love. And a love that, that forgives. A love that's unconditional. A love that's immeasurable. And so he held his hand out to her. And she was, he was seeking her forgiveness. He says, I know that, that God has forgiven me. I've become a Christian. I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me of all of the atrocities that have taken place that I've been responsible for as a Nazi working in a concentration camp. And then he says, will you forgive me? She couldn't bring herself to do it. But then, in that moment, she remembered that forgiveness is not optional for the Christian. 
For a Christian, it's not an option for us to forgive. Christ commands us to forgive. He commands us to forgive. So she made the decision to extend her hand. She made the decision to say, I forgive you. Then she said this for a long moment. Next quote, Alyssa. For a long moment, we grasp each other's hands. The former guard and former prisoner. And she said that in this moment, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's what love is. Love isn't just loving those that we like, those that we're fond of. The agape love of God is to love those who even repulse us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ made the ultimate sacrifice in love for us. To truly know and trust and experience God's love is to really give it away. Is to give it away. Not just to those that we're fond of, those that we enjoy being around, but even the most repulsive people that we can imagine. This is the miracle of God's love. This is the love that God has for you, and this is the love that we're to give towards others. Let's pray. Lord, as we talk about God's love, sometimes we, we may assume that it's, that it's just all a, a touchy-feely, feel-good sort of thing, but it's actually a really difficult thing. It's a hard thing. It's actually an impossible thing for us to do. Lord, you have loved us, and, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface, to get a little taste of what it means to open the, the door of our heart and to invite you to come in. We're only getting a little taste of that. And Lord, but, but Lord, as we, as we love those that are, that are so, so difficult for us to love in this world, as, as we begin to give that love away to others, even when it's so hard for us, then, then we begin to grasp and to understand truly the love that you have for us. So, Lord, I pray for those who are here today. I don't know the situations that every individual walks in here with, what they're struggling with, what they're facing in life, but you do. You know each and every one of us by name. And, Lord, I know that there are people in here today who are having a hard time loving, having a hard time forgiving. I pray in the name of Jesus that your love would so flood into their lives that they would love, that they would forgive, that they would be reconciled. Lord, it's something that only you can do. Lord, it's, it's more than a feeling in church. This life that you've given to us in your Holy Spirit through the fruit of the Spirit isn't just about feeling good in church or feeling good, period. It's about living a life a messy life, a difficult life, doing those things, Lord, in, in your strength, 
that, that we never thought that we'd be able to do. So thank you for people like Corey Ten Boone, who lived her life as a reflection of your love. And I pray that each and every one of us would do the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.